Please keep your Bibles open there at Matthew 24. We'll come to that in a moment. I want to talk today about the end of the world uh, so that we might understand uh, what Jesus says and so we might live rightly in these end times. Uh, Over the past few months in Sydney, this banner has been on display. It says, Warning, Tsunami to Hit Sydney. 20th of September, 2018, impact at 9pm, 400,000 lives lost. Maybe you saw it if you're in and around uh, Town Hall or St Andrew's Cathedral, not that was put up by St Andrew's Cathedral, over the past few months. At the same time, uh, pamphlets have been distributed by this group uh, into letterboxes claiming that they have a direct prophecy from God about this end-of-the-world event. 20th of September, 2018, 9pm. Well, it didn't happen. But ever since Jesus walked the earth, his followers, who are both true followers and false followers, those who seek to know and understand what Jesus teaches and those who might claim to have false prophecies from God. Ever since Jesus walked the earth, followers have anticipated Jesus' return and the end of the world as we know it. What we just read there in Matthew 24, Jesus tells his disciples about signs that mark the end. Seeing earthquakes and tsunamis, war and famine, a world that is winding down and breaking down. These are the kind of things that we see. And so we want to ask the question, is this the end that Jesus talked about? Back in 1987, the rock band... R.E.M. released a hit song, or released a song which a few years later became a hit song, It's the End of the World as We Know It. The songwriter, though there's a bit of mystery surrounding about when and how and what inspired him to write these lyrics, looks around and sees that there is some kind of end to the world. This is what part of verse 1 says. That's great, it starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes, an aeroplane, Lenny Bruce is not afraid. Eye of a hurricane, listen to yourself churn. World serves its own needs, don't serve your own needs. Uh-oh, overflow, population, common group, but it'll do. Save yourself, serve yourself, world serves its own needs. Listen to your heart bleed. Tell me with the rapture and the reverent in the right, right. You vitriolic, patriotic, slam fight, bright light, feeling pretty sight. Chorus... It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Perhaps you want to sing along. It's the end of the world as we know it. And we come to the last line. And I feel fine. I don't know whether that last line is supposed to be a bit tongue-in-cheek or I don't know and I don't care. It's the end of the world as we know it and I feel fine. How do you feel about the state of the world and the end of the world. Do you feel fine? How do your friends and family, how do the people round about you feel? We're going to narrow in this topic of end times today to understand what Jesus says and so that we might rightly live 
in these end times following after Jesus. And the first thing to say is this, this is not the end of the world as we know it. Terrible events and disasters in the world are not new. These disasters have been with humanity since the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden rebelled against their Creator. Ever since Genesis 3, the world would, the, the earth would produce thorns and thistles. We would have to work the land with effort. There would be flood, there would be famine, there would be earthquake, there would be tsunami, there'd be volcanoes, there would be sinkholes. Not good things, but things that would be part of this world that rebels against its Creator. All of these things are a consequence of a broken world living in rebellion against its maker. And so rather than seeing current disasters as the end of the world as we know it, I think from the Bible's perspective, we should say, this is the world as we know it. A broken world, a world of famine and earthquake, flood and disease and war, they are to be expected. This is the world as we know it. And so the first thing to say, this is not the end of the world as we know it. But if this is not the end, what does Jesus want us to take away from Matthew 24? The context of Matthew 24, Jesus is with his disciples in Jerusalem, they're, they're near the temple, the grand temple that had been built, knocked down and then rebuilt, but the temple that God had uh, given and designed for his people to be the symbolic place of his presence, to be the place of the sacrificial system that God had given in Old Testament times for his Old Testament people to know and understand the cost of sin and what God would do mercifully for them to bring them back into relationship with him, they are in the presence of this temple. And Jesus is talking with his disciples about a time when the temple and all of Jerusalem will be destroyed. The disciples are a little bit surprised by this and they are thinking that this will all happen when Jesus makes his final return to earth as the Christ Messiah who brings the world to an end. And so in verse 3 they ask Jesus this question. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately, tell us, they said, when will this happen, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple? And what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? Jesus then gives them a very long answer. If you've got a red letter Bible, which highlights out uh, Jesus' speech, you'll see that it goes from verse 4 all the way through to the end of chapter 25. About 3, 6, 9, 12, about 15 minutes of reading time. Okay, Jesus gives this really long answer to their question about when will this happen and what will be the sign. Jesus answers about the destruction of Jerusalem. He talks about his coming. He talk, he's coming again. He talks about the end of the world. 
And in Jesus' answer, what we see is that these things don't necessarily all happen at the same time as the disciples expect. And perhaps frustratingly for the disciples, and maybe for us as well, Jesus doesn't answer their question with the chronological details that we might be looking for. Instead, and more importantly, He warns them and us about how to live in the light of what they and we see and know. This is the key to understanding it. Jesus says tragic things like war and earthquakes and famine, they will happen. They are a sign that the end is coming, but they serve as a reminder, a reminder that the end is coming, but not a sign that the end is here, right now, immediately, today. Have a look with me, please, at Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. Jesus says, You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. All these things point to something that is coming, but are not necessarily immediate. You see, because Jesus has a caution for us in verses 4 to 6, to not be misled, to not be distracted, to not be frightened by these coming. And he's also talking about false Christs, people who might come to imitate Jesus. He's also talking about persecution that will come on those who follow Jesus. What's most important when we see these things in the world is to persevere in following after Jesus. Verse 13, have a look there please. Oh, let's go verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus is saying the end will surely come. Jesus will return. He will bring with Him the new heavens and the new earth, a world that won't be broken, a world that won't have famine and war and disease and death. And that will be the end of the world as we know it. (coughs) Now, faced with this reality of the end of the world, Jesus warns against wrong responses. Even though Jesus clearly says that He will return to judge all humanity and that this world will come to an end, some people will doubt, some people will disbelieve. Now, it's good to ask questions, it's good to wrestle with what Jesus says, but without a doubt, Jesus says that He will will return. A wrong response is to doubt 
what Jesus says. A second wrong response is to be gripped by despair. You see, without knowledge and belief that Jesus is going to come and make all things new, we have no hope for the future. In the darkness of suffering, if that this is all there is to life, we will fall into despair. A wrong response to what Jesus teaches. Or you might end up in the opposite, which is equally wrong at the, at the thought that there is nothing ahead, and that is to live it up. To, to make the most of everything that we have now, to, to do whatever we can, to minimise our suffering and to maximise our enjoyment at li- of life. These are all wrong responses to the end of the world. Doubt, despair, to live it up. Have you seen these responses in people round about you? Perhaps you've lived some of your life not as a Christian and you have consciously, or you can think back, to having these thoughts. Maybe, as a Christian, you might have some uncertainty about the future and Jesus' return and you feel these feelings of doubt. Will He really come back? Can I be sure about that? You might feel the despair of the darkness of suffering without a clear sense of the hope of the new heavens and earth that Jesus brings. Or you might feel that urge to make the most of life now. Well, let's turn our attention to the right biblical responses If we know and believe that there's an end of the world, just as Jesus says there is, if we know and believe that Jesus will return to judge, to bring with Him the new heavens and the earth, here is what we'll do. I've got five points for us, they all start with P, because as we go out this morning, we don't just want to have a better textbook understanding of the end of the world... Uh, but have some clear slogans in our mind that might shape how we live in these end times. The first one is this, be prepared. Be prepared for Jesus' return. Prepared for the judgment that He will bring. Prepared for the end of the world. Not as a doomsday prepper, That's not the kind of preparation that I'm talking about. Now, in being prepared for the new heavens and the earth, Jesus calls us to repent, to repent of our sins. Preparation calls for repentance, to turn away from sin to God, to receive His forgiveness, to receive His new life through Jesus' death and resurrection in our place. And so as you and I see disaster and experience disaster in the world, these are signs of God's judgment that should drive us to repentance. As much as we see the sign of baptism, a sign of God's promise to us in Jesus, and that drives us again to repentance and faith, as we see things breaking down in the world, as we see famine, as you and I get sick, We see a sign at the end of the world and we need to know, we need to say, we need to repent. It's a noble thing to be moved with compassion towards people in the world who suffer. 
providing for AIDS orphans in Africa, uh, providing for refugees of civil war, farmers in doubt, in drought. It's a noble thing to be moved by compassion, but that has got to be secondary to preparing our own hearts. <coughs> Have you done this? Have you prepared your heart in repentance for Jesus' coming? You see, when we talk about the end of the world, our topic today is not just to give us a better textbook understanding of where this world is headed. There is no other way to be prepared for the end of the world than to put your trust in Jesus. As we come to a close, in a moment I'm going to lead us in a prayer, another prayer of repentance. And if your heart is not prepared in repentance, I I want to encourage you over these next few moments to be thinking about that. Do you want to be prepared? Do you want to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus? I'm going to lead us in that prayer in a little while. If we're people who have prepared our hearts, followers of Jesus will be driven to prayer and proclamation, our next two Ps. We'll be prayerful, we'll give ourselves to prayer because God, as He is over us and over all creation, He is able to overrule any disaster that comes upon the world. There is nothing that happens that is outside of His control And so as people who know and believe that, we will pray. Pray that God will intervene to provide for those who suffer. We'll pray to God for mercy and for salvation and relief in the midst of disaster. At the same time, any concern that we have for someone's suffering in the world And for someone's safety must be matched by a concern for their salvation and their eternity. And so we've also got to be proclaiming Jesus. We saw in verse 14, we know that the world won't end before Jesus is made known to all whom God calls. And therefore we need to uh, raise up and be part of encouraging and supporting aid agencies that go into disaster zones with a concern that people are helped and given an opportunity to know about Jesus. This is one of the things that stands out about the aid agency Compassion through their child sponsorship programs, why we've formed a partnership with them here at New Life. Releasing children from poverty, their slogan says, in Jesus' name. They seek to provide for and care for the poor and vulnerable around, around the world while at the same time making Jesus known. At Christmas time here at New Life, we raise money for Tia, who have a similar philosophy and ambition Two examples of aid agencies proclaiming Jesus alongside aid work. And there needs to be more people proclaiming Jesus to those who are dying in places that people most want to leave. Uh, One of my college mates uh, left college, worked in a church for a while as he prepared to go and do church planting in Japan. It was planned that he would head to Japan in 2011 
just before he left was when the massive earthquake uh, struck Japan and the tsunami came through and there was the nuclear reactor that exploded. I caught up with my mate uh, a day or two after that earthquake and tsunami and, and was anxious to ask him about what this did to his plans for moving his family uh, to Japan to do this church planting work. Was it off? Was it delayed? What was going to change? What was he going to do? He was so clear that he was even more desperate to go. We need more and more people proclaiming Jesus to those who are in the midst of disaster and for those who are dying in places that most other people want to leave. Followers of Jesus, whether we're here or Japan or in Africa, all followers of Jesus will be committed to making Jesus known and supporting others who are able to go to places that we can't. But that's not all we can do. We also will be using our gifts and our skills and the resources that God has given us to prevent further deterioration and to provide for those in need. Two quick ones to finish off. There's lots of preventative work that we can do in our own little area and in the wider world. God has given us gifts and skills and resources that enable us to prevent further deterioration in the world, to limit the impact of disasters. Let me list off just a few that I can think of. Developing tsunami warning systems, land stability monitoring, flood modelling, good management of natural resources, understanding weather patterns and sustainable practices, policies and programs for equitable food distribution throughout the world. And you'll be able to think of many, many more things, particularly in your background and your training and your areas of expertise, where we can be using the gifts and resources that God has given us to be contributing to a world in a preventative way, doing things that prevent deterioration of the world. And we'll use these skills that God has given us to be providential, that in the midst of disaster, we will provide for those who are affected in the world today and in the days to come. There is something that stands out about Christians in disaster zones. They are those who are there selflessly providing for others even when their own life is threatened. Now, you and I, we rarely face disaster. Uh, And the disasters that we do face... Uh, in God's providence and mercy here are relatively short-lived. About the worst that we see uh, is a nation gripped by drought that goes on and on. It's good and right that we respond to that in a providential way, giving financially and of ourselves to help and support those who are feeling it worst. Though being like God is an ongoing generosity that provides for others. It's not just buying one bale of hay, it's not just rallying together as a community for a month or so, but quietly as individuals day in and day out being like God in generously providing for others. They're the four P's of responding rightly, being prepared, being prayerful, 
proclaiming, preventative and providential. Is this the end of the world as we know it? We do see the things that Jesus talked about. The end is coming. It might not be far away. But knowing this, we need not doubt, we need not despair, nor give ourselves to making the most of life, but be prepared. Constantly turning our heart to God in repentance. Be prayerful. Be prayerful for the world. Take every opportunity to proclaim Jesus. Do all we can to prevent disaster and limit its impact. And be providential. Be someone who provides for others. This is what Jesus calls us to do until the end does come and until we enter into the glorious new heavens and new earth that he brings.